Welcome to You Are the Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and off to the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast, Theo Byler. Each episode will take turns exploring the song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. Ooh, spooky episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's our guest. It's uh, Ted the Ghost. Uh, welcome to the first ever Halloween episode of You Wanted a Hit. It is. It should be the second, but, you know, we were lazy last uh, October. I was moving. I think you were, uh, you were moving, but there's uh, a lot going I, on. I was. I was moving. Oh, yeah. We were both I, moving. I moved, yeah. We had a little break there because I, yeah, I moved October 29th to be exact. I so. moved October 15th, so we did not get you guys a Halloween episode. We are... <laughs> We'll make up for it. I have a I have an idea for a Thanksgiving episode, possibly. What? Yeah. Oh. So. Wow. It's gonna tease uh, that out there. I'm trying to think what the hell that could be, but yeah. uh. I have ideas of what this could be. This what episode. this could be? Yeah. Uh, yeah. This episode is about a song that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a great song, um, but you really only hear it around Halloween, mm-hmm. and. It's got a great story. It's going to be funny. It's going to be weird. I think it's going to be a great episode. Okay. Here is the spooky song we're going to talk about tonight. doing a dance i'm doing a dance this is the song that i thought it would be however i don't think i knew that that was the intro oh i we just need to talk the, about the that great intro. chorus yeah uh there's some great great stuff to know about that intro that we'll get into uh this is monster mash do you know who sings monster mash i actually do not or speaks monster mash i don't think i do I'm trying to think of a, of a off-the-wall guess, but I don't have nothing here. It's Bobby, quote, Boris Pickett. Bobby Boris Pickett. Yep. That sounds like in... the American version of a British prime minister. It kind of does, actually. <laughs> it was released in 1962. Wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like 1962. Yeah, I probably would have gone 70s. So Yeah, interesting. And early 60s, I mean, that's a good bit further back than I would have guessed. I feel like it's got those like the like trinkling piano and the kind of surfy vibes, but I guess it does. Yeah, seven early seventies. I feel like a lot of novelty songs. So I right. I, understand I think that's that. where maybe I was more going there. Yeah, Bobby Pickett was born in Somerville, Massachusetts. Nice. Is, you know Somerville? Uh, yeah, Somerville is where Tufts University is. Am I correct? Oh, I and don't know. Uh, that is where uh, there's a, a really great band that you might know of called Guster. 
Oh, they're from Somerville? Got, no, but they got their start at Tufts University. Oh, they did. You're which right. Which is in Somerville, Massachusetts. You're right. That's true. Ah. I wonder how many times we've mentioned Guster on this podcast. <laughs> Not as many times as Moby. That's true. That's true. Uh, but I definitely listen to a lot more Guster than Moby. I made the pilgrimage to Somerville to see Tufts just to see where Guster started. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love that. Anyway, Somerville. Bobby was born there. Um, he grew up there as well. And he explained in an interview with People Magazine that you had two choices as a young man in Somerville. You could either be a gangster or you could be an athlete. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like it was a little, little rough around that time. <laughs> uh, his father managed the local movie theater. And Bobby hung around the theater a lot. And his favorite films to watch were of the horror variety. Mm. if you could imagine and uh that was very popular at the time thanks to flicks like the monster movies that starred boris karloff and bella lugosi dracula frankenstein wolfman all that stuff the true classics oh yeah uh bobby's time spent at the cinema inspired him to pursue acting and comedy and he worked to perfect impressions of some of his favorite actors including karloff who famously portrayed the most iconic version of Frankenstein's monster and was a horror movie and TV show staple. Uh-huh. Uh, I found, I wanted to get a little clip of, of Boris Karloff speaking and I found a coffee commercial that he's oh. in and it's awesome. Come in. You know why I've asked you here? No, tell me. <laughs> you must convince the villagers that I'm harmless. Oh wow, he's frightening. You're trembling. Oh, yeah. Are you afraid? Have some nice hot coffee. It's butternut. Like it? Butternut has found a way of making coffee richer without being bitter. Take this. <laughs> His deadpan is oh, amazing. Don't this worry. Is awesome. I've lots more. Butternut coffee, regular and instant. Rich oh, I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> Why don't we make commercials like that anymore? I don't know. It's amazing. Can we do our next uh, ad read in that that way? Yes. Yeah, dark matter. <laughs> no, be for dark matter. Be perfect. Oh, true. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> we have a coffee sponsor. Yes. Oh uh, yeah. Dark I just matter thought, coffee. <laughs> I thought that was so fantastic, and a, a good example of of Boris's speaking voice. Bobby also had some musical talent, and as a teenager, wait. So started... I'm going to jump ahead here. Did he nickname himself Boris? See, I couldn't figure that out. Um, I, I, I literally searched, how did he get the nickname Boris? And I don't know if he gave it to himself or other people did. I don't know. Interesting. I love yeah. that. Um, there's, a few, there's a few holes here, just because like the song's so old. So there's, there's some things that I wish I could find. I, I, I told you find. everything about a song that was 150 years old last <laughs> week. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we were missing some stuff. Oh, I'm sure we were. I'm sure uh, we were. Bobby also had some musical talent, and as a teenager, he started singing for a local swing band called, mm. I, I believe, serendipitously, Darren Bales and the Wolf Eaters. Okay. I think he joined the band, and they were already called the Wolf Eaters. Which that's is, cool. I like that. Yeah, that's great. That. Uh, sadly, couldn't find any of their music online. Uh, I think they were actually a local band, and it was very expensive to record a whole swing band in 1955. So, Well, if any of our listeners, grandparents, are from... Somerville area, 
and may have seen the Wolf Eaters live, we would love to interview them. Oh my God, that'd be great. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> that would be something. <laughs> If, especially if they're like, oh, I knew that Bobby Pickett was in that band. I knew I knew that was him. <laughs> we used to call him Boris. Yeah. Well, I feel like if you lived in Somerville, then you knew who he was. Yeah. Once he made it big. But town of four people, right? Yeah. When Bobby was 18, uh, he was drafted into the Korean War, so he had to put swing on hold. And he served in the Signal Corps. Do you know what the Signal Corps is? It's still around. I, I don't. I If I had to take a guess it would be like the the the, the watchman uh signaling the uh, enemies or something like so that are coming it was founded in the 1800s and it's actually kind of the uh like the tech branch of the army oh, okay. uh, they create and manage communications and information systems for command and control of combined armed forces hmm. so cool. you know they Very were important probably went from uh morse code to Telephone to telegraph to, you know, all that. So yeah. uh, that's what Bobby did in the Army. And when he returned from the war, he started entering local talent shows at places like the Irish American Club in Everett, Massachusetts. And he would do impressions of famous horror actors. And Boris Karloff was his most popular one. And he said he would, he would win all the time. Like, he'd enter these contests and, like, just did perfect boris karloff would win and at the time like everyone knows every celebrity there's only so there's many only, movie stars there's only right five like, celebrities and boris karloff yeah. is one of them yeah yeah uh and he said that's when he knew he was going to make it in hollywood wow because of the talent show at the irish american club in everett massachusetts <laughs> you know you got to have that that faith and that that optimism <laughs> right uh so he moved to la and he continued his foray into acting. But while he was there, he caught wind that a buddy from Somerville, Lenny Capizzi, had also moved to L.A. with three of his buddies from Somerville. Wow. And they all formed a doo-wop singing group called The Cordials. It's a wholesome name. This is lovely. It's lovely. It's pretty standard uh, white guy doo-wop like I would hear in the barbershop when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. It's like the opening to, like, American Graffiti or something. Or, uh, yeah, Bronx Tale or... Yeah. yeah. Oh, love that movie. Uh, me too. He was in the Cordials, and uh, they were playing shows around L.A., doing all right, and cut a couple records, as you can see, and... They started singing this song that was made popular by the Diamonds. That you may know. This does sound very familiar. Like the sound, but also the song. You can hear that there's this monologue in the middle of the song. Oh, yeah. You would sometimes get in some of those songs then where they, like, you know, tell a little bridge story, say how they feel, you know? Well,. Bobby, this is like this voice does not sound like it's coming out of this like twenty-two year old good-looking chiseled jaw fella here. So Bobby had the idea of when they would cover this song, he would do that part of the monologue as Boris Karloff. Oh my my god! Yes, (laughs) yes. Uh, And Lenny, his bandmate and childhood friend, said that'd be a great idea for a novelty record, but not for our act. Mm. 
And according to a piece I read in NME about Bobby Pickett, Pickett was more concerned with acting and comedy, so he quit the band and he signed with an agent. And then his agent died two weeks later of a heart attack. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) That's when we uh, insert the... uh... The classic yeah. like spooky sound there. Yes. Uh, so you're telling me that Bobby Pickett killed the agent. <laughs> this actually turned into a true crime podcast. We have never known what happened to his agent, and it's never been solved. But all signs point to Bobby Pickett. Mm-hmm. It was a lot easier to kill someone, hide a body, and get away with it back in the 50s. Yes, that's definitely true. I imagine. Uh not a lot of true crime podcasts take place in the 50s. No. Uh, so Bobby uh, may or may not have killed his agent. He didn't, as far as I know. Okay. But he then went back to the cordials, <laughs> said, hey, I quit, but I'm back because oh. my agent died. And they let him back in. And then nice he convinced them to do the song with the Karloff impression. Yeah, because they were now in fear of him. Yes, <laughs> exactly, because he killed his agent. Uh, they performed it at their next gig, and he did the Karloff impression, and it killed. I'm uh, sure. The audience loved it. They were cracking up. It was great. And after the show, Lenny said, what if we did a whole song in this style? So now Lenny's coming around. Right, Lenny's coming around. So Bobby and Lenny get together one night to write the song. And it took them about two hours and they used a woolen sack tape recorder, which was the choice tape recorder for amateur homeschool and office uses. So the uh, the garage band of the, the 1950s. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> yep. And at first, the song was called The Monster Twist. Mm. It was inspired by Chubby Checkers, number one hit, The Twist, that we all sure. know, yeah, and the resulting yeah. dance that had become a phenomenon among teenagers, but Lenny had a better idea. There was another big novelty dance hit at the time. And that song was inspired by this, which was the first introduction to this dance craze. Oh, James Brown. Mr. James Brown, Mashed Potatoes USA. That is how some of America was introduced to the mashed potato. I've never heard this. It's pretty great. I mean, of course it is. It's a James Brown song about mashed potatoes. I mean, that's great. What could go wrong? I'm not going to play this every time I make mashed potatoes from now on. You should. It should be on your Thanksgiving playlist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what was the dance? Do we know? Uh, Jamie's Nana taught her how to do the mashed potato. Uh, I'd heard of it, but I don't think I'd seen it until I was with Jamie. But yeah, you click your heels together. Like the, and you kind of like do the, the chicken, chicken with your arms. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. This version... It's obviously not James Brown. It's like a cover. No, it's a different song. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, this song sounds very familiar. Yeah. 
So it's mashed potato time, which is this song by D.D. Sharp, which came after the James Brown song. Oh, kind of capitalized. She recorded oh, okay. this song, and it became a big hit everywhere. I thought you were going to say that uh, another white singer coming in. No, it's not. In. It's not. Yeah, this song I definitely rec- recognize. Yeah. Mashed potato time. I mean, this, this could be an episode on its own. It actually could. It's got a little two-parter all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I kind of do. This is a great jam right here. I like this song. Yeah, it's a good song. So that song was very popular, Mashed Potato Time by Dee Dee Sharp. And Lenny and Bobby decided to lift some of that melody, which is interesting in itself because the melody to Mashed Potato Time ended up having uh, some legal troubles because it was so similar to Please Mr. Postman. Oh. You can probably hear yeah. And they had to share credits and royalties with that song. Uh, and then Bobby and Lenny lifted it on purpose and basically just incorporated lyrics spoken by Bobby as Boris Karloff uh, with, you know, lyrics that were based on what we now know as the Universal Monster. So Dracula, Frankenstein's Monster, The Wolfman... At the time, they were just like fun movie classic. Right. So wait, you're telling me that the Monster Mash and the Mash Potato and the Postman song are all the same song? Pretty much. Wow. <laughs> I don't think I ever realized But that. only one of them has spoken word in the style of Boris Karloff. <laughs> Which legally, I guess, would make it quite, quite different. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a parody. So they were able to do this because oh. they, they were parodying... Uh, the mashed potato song. They're Weird Al before Weird Al. Their own song, kind of. Yeah, we're gonna have a Weird Al connection a little bit. Um, so they're parodying that song. Uh, well, they're also kind of making fun of some other stuff that I'll talk about in a minute. But uh, it's kind of a perfect time for this because not only had these horror movies with these characters and other characters too. Uh, been popular for 15 years, but they had now invaded TV sets because there are those late night horror movie presentations on like local networks. Eventually, Vincent Price was, you know, and like Tales from the Crypt were the most famous ones, but they were like local ones in every city. And uh, these were often referred to by TV buffs as shock theater, that they would insert those Mm -hmm. after the news at night, you know, and they'd show, they'd have like a presenter and then they would show a, a horror movie. Such a just much more wholesome time. I know, it's back so then. great. I love the idea of like October comes around, late night TV. Like, oh, can I stay up and watch the the you know mm-hmm. the Dracula? That's like really scary. Although if we watched it now, I'm sure it'd be super mundane. And then in in the middle of the movie, you see the host, and he's like, "Let me talk to you about chock full of nuts." <laughs> uh, and because of these movies being on TV. There were toy lines, of course. Mm. So now, everyone's favorite monsters, you can get them at the store, and there's also plenty of knockoff monsters. So, like, Monster Mania is kind of happening right now. Oh, wow. According to Billboard, after Bobby and Lenny made the demo on the tape recorder, they took it to producer Gary S. Paxton, who Lenny was aware of through some friends. And Gary had a number one hit in 1960 called... Alley Oop by the Hollywood Argyles. And I believe that's Gary singing. 
nothing but a bearcat stew. Like very like storytelling, well, little doo wop in the back. So it's a song about a caveman. This is good. The groove. Yeah, that song was number one in 1960. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, we could probably talk about time. it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so Gary heard the song, uh, the demo, and he agreed to record it at his studio. Before we get into the recording of the song, we really need to talk about Gary. Mm. Gary S. Paxton, the producer of Monster Mash. Uh, he came up working in music like that, novelty songs, uh, some doo-wop, a little bit of early rock and roll. Um, over the years, Paxton built a reputation as a rather eccentric figure in the music industry. Okay. Mm, uh, Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys was known to be an admirer. Uh, and apparently, Phil Spector was afraid of him. Oh, okay. that's saying something. <laughs> that is saying something. Phil Spector is a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was kind of known as this like creative, uh, eccentric, I guess, genius. He he just had some some wild ways of doing business, and it could run to excess. Mm. He. <laughs> He uh, made a record uh, by some artists named Renfro and Jackson, and the song was called Elephant Game. And a radio station uh, said that it was too black to play. Oh, wow. So he decided to have a protest on Hollywood Boulevard in front of their office. Oh, yes. And he had 15 cheerleaders and a live elephant pulling a Volkswagen. Uh, He was arrested because the elephant got scared and started shitting on the street. (laughs) It's kind of awesome. Was he arrested because the elephant shat or the fact that he had an elephant on the street? Well, that's what alerted people. I think it was a whole scene once it shit everywhere. Because I'm sure the cheerleaders were like, oh my God, like they're making a fuss because there's elephant shit everywhere. The car probably ran over it, you know. The whole thing. It should be a movie. But it was a it was a protest because the station was racist. So uh, that's pretty great. Um, okay, Gary. Later in the 1960s, um, he gradually turned to the burgeoning Bakersfield sound in country music. Mm. One of my favorite styles of country music. Oh yeah. Uh, in 1967, he'd been living there, and he was running a variety of businesses, and he founded the label Bakersfield International. Uh, he then moved on to Nashville. And uh, had some uh, some drug and alcohol issues, and he converted to Christianity. I was about to say Nashville will, will do that to you when you mentioned drugs and alcohol, but then when you said the Christianity part, Nashville will also do it. To you. So it's uh, full circle, full circle with Nashville, everybody. Yeah, that's definitely true. It happened to Johnny Cash like fourteen times yeah, in a row. So uh, he turned his he he turned his eye to gospel music, but he also became part of the hippie countercultural Jesus movement, so the Christian hippies. Okay. So, uh... A lot of them in Nashville as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, that's true. Um, but he continued making country music, uh, mostly gospel, and he even recorded many of his own gospel country songs under the name Rusty Dean. Okay. And then, on December 29th, 1980... Paxton was shot three times by hitmen. 
God damn. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, he believed that uh, they were hired by Vern Gosden, a Christian country singer he was producing. And that put him out of the music world for eight years and nearly ended his life. But he survived, and he kept making Christian music, and he won several Dove Awards. Wow. Yeah. Wait, why did the Christian artist try to kill him? I couldn't find anything about that. I mean... I'm not sure. There's a lot of Christian artists out there who are not necessarily (laughs) living by the book, and... uh, that takes it to a whole new level. Yeah, uh, I would love to find out more about that. I shouldn't say I didn't find it. Uh, it's that I was already spending so much time reading about Gary when we need to be talking about Monster Mash that I didn't keep going on the Hitman part. Well, I, we can come back to Gary another episode <laughs> we because we have a we have number one hit in our hands. Apparently. We do. Yeah. Uh, so back to Monster Mash. Uh, take take a little sip of beer before we get really into Monster Mash. Hmm. That's Sierra Nevada. That's hidden. Hitch a threat. It really does. In an interview with Billboard, Bobby Pickett said, when they got to the studio at Highland and Franklin in Los Angeles, their session was right after Herb Alpert. Oh, <laughs> but wow. he didn't know who Herb Alpert was until later. <laughs> I feel like That's Herb's awesome. come up a lot, too, on some of our episodes. Come on, yeah. Uh, so for these sessions, they put together a band called the Crypt Kickers. Oh, uh, yes. Awesome. And they recorded the bulk of Monster Mash in one take. Bobby oh, wow. had practiced it so much in the mirror that he just nailed it first try. Like whole monologue, whole song. Fuck very yeah. cool. Now the band, the Crypt Kickers, uh, included Mel Taylor, who is the drummer for Surf Legends, The Ventures. Oh, we wow. know many Ventures surf songs. Wow. And one of my favorite things that I learned about this song is that the piano is played by none other than rock and roll legend Leon Russell. Wow. Played piano on Monster Mash. Wow. Yeah. Wait, was he doing a lot of session work? Yeah, I mean he did a he did a lot of it yeah. before he was who he was. Uh, I don't and I think that. even Damn. even did quite a bit of it after he was famous. But yeah, that little tinkly those keys that everyone knows from yeah. Monster Mash is fucking Leon Russell. Damn. Yeah. That's amazing. Awesome. Uh, and the, va- the backing vocals were done by girl group The Blossoms, fronted by Darlene Love, who were a group that was produced by Phil Spector, who is afraid of the producer of Monster Mash. And then later killed his wife. And then later was also a killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, What's also incredible, as I mentioned earlier, is how they created the famous sound effects in the song. So in the beginning, it starts with a bunch yeah. of sound effects, and they're played throughout the song as they introduce the characters. Uh, I'd say they got creative and they MacGyvered it. Mm-hmm. I would love to see footage of all this happening. So the sound of the coffin opening when Dracula shows up was done by putting a rusty nail in a two by four and slowly pulling it out with a hammer. Oh, I love it. Um, the bubbling sounds, which you can hear at the beginning, were made by miking a glass of water and just blowing bubbles with a straw. Great. And the chain noises were just putting plywood on the floor of the studio and dropping just heavy chains on them. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> this is very Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Have you ever- you ever watch any of the like sound effect shows where they show you how they do the sound effects for like major mm-hmm. movies? It's like very much like this. So I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's great. 
So they cut the song uh, in one take plus sound effects. And Paxton, Gary, our man Gary, was excited about the song. And he shopped it to four major labels. They all turned it down. Fuckers. No Monster Mash for them. So he pressed a thousand seven-inch singles on his own label called Garpax, not to be confused with the former Chicago Bulls management team. He used to drive me crazy, Garpax. Different thing. Uh, And dropped off copies at radio stations all over California. By the time he got back to L.A., most of the stations had given it a spin. And London Recordings, which was a division of DECA, and it turned him down, called and apologized. <laughs> and always come and back. said, come crawling back. Let's make a deal. And the rest was history. Wow. Monster Mash. You could do that shit back huge. in the day, man. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It is funny. I always like, you hear this song during Halloween, mm-hmm. and I've obviously grown up with it. So it just feels like some songs are just like ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you like really think about it in the context of the time, it really wasn't that unusual. So it's almost surprising that labels even passed on it because like it just seems like a song that would fit in this novelty era and this era of like it has all the right ingredients mm-hmm. to be I guess that the spoken word really is strange. Overall. Yeah, there's no singing in the verses. Yeah. But musically, it fits really well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Really easily. If it had been the 90s, they'd be like, hey, here's $20 million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the song is starting to take off, and uh, Pickett starts performing. And there's an early live performance that I really wish there was video of, because I know <sighs> you would ask. But he was backed by, on vocals, none other than a pre-fame Beach Boys Wow. And Eddie Van Halen played guitar. <laughs> what? Yeah. How old is he? Uh, had to be young. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, and I thought that was amazing because Eddie Van Halen plays on a classic Halloween album, Thriller. I was going to say, right? Yeah. He plays on Beat That's It. I thought. Yeah. Damn. When you mentioned Leon Russell, I was like, I almost made this comment about, I, I couldn't remember who exactly played on Thriller, but they made it, right? And it turned out that Boris Karloff heard heard the song, and he liked it so much that he covered the song on ABC's variety show Shindig. Oh, There's not wow. video of that either, unfortunately. Though people have like tried to recreate it out Damn of like it. clips of Boris Karloff. Um, art imitating life, life imitating art. Fuck. And if you remember, Shindig was the variety show that Tony Basil, who sang Mickey, oh. uh, choreographed. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not everyone was that. a fan of the song. Pickett recalls Dick Clark being quite reticent to have him perform the song on American Bandstand. Oh. Yeah. Come on, Dick. Yep. And also, Bobby was a huge fan of Elvis. And he was thrilled when his friend said that the king had heard Monster Mash. And he asked his pal what he thought of it and she said he hates it bobby <laughs> he thinks it's the <laughs> stupidest thing he's ever heard uh i can see that i can see that and he said whoever liked elvis anyway <laughs> <laughs> he did say in 1984 that uh he doesn't he's not actually sure that elvis knew who boris karloff was <laughs> that's probably true yeah. Too. yeah yeah that's fair you know it's not for everyone it's fine but dick clark came around 
and he allowed Pickett onto American Bandstand. And you may have seen this video. It's very famous, but we have to watch Bobby singing Monster Mash on American Bandstand. It is amazing. I don't know that I've seen this. That's what... He's just like contorting his face and doing all these <laughs> wild expressions, rolling his eyes back and stuff. I mean, it's amazing. Oh my God, this is awesome. And it's just him, no band. It's just like him in front of a him in front of a like sparkly background. It's oh my great. god, this is fantastic. God, imagine being a little kid watching this oh, for the I first know. time. They don't need anything other than his facial expressions and his voice. Like that's yeah, it. everyone it's needs so to go good. watch this. Recommend everybody listening watches this video. Yeah, it's so creepy and wonderful. Fuck yeah, it. The song was embraced by pretty much everyone, except. The BBC, once again, squares. Uh, they thought it was too, quote, morbid to play on the radio, I guess, because it has dead people in it. Um, okay. And it didn't chart in the UK till 1973. Wow. Okay, BBC. One of the things I've always loved about Monster Mash, and I'm not sure you've ever thought about this, but, I mean, it's a great song, and musically, it rules. Yeah. But they never tell you what the dance or the song is. That's true. Because they say you should do the Monster Mash. But... And they say that they're singing the Monster Mash. Yeah. But hmm. it's about a song and dance called Monster Mash. But Monster Mash, the song that we know, I don't think is the song that they're talking about. Right. Of course not. It can't be. It was a graveyard smash. But we don't know. Yeah. It. And they're, they're singing about how it was made. So it's a song about a song. That might not exist. Right. There's no actual song mm. sung within it, and there's no actual Monster Mash dance to be done. <laughs> wow. I've never picked up so on that. So I think that's why there's no dance craze when it came out. There's no Monster Mash. People don't do the Monster Mash. Well, how do they know how to do the mashed potato? Uh, somebody made that up, I'm sure. I guess. But nobody made this up. There's no Monster Mash dance. I mean, you can look up on YouTube. It's like people... Made a dance, but like there's no dance craze, it's just a song. So, like, if this came out right now, TikTokers wouldn't know what to do. Yes, that's true. Well, they have to make it up like they do, I guess so. But, uh, that same enemy article that uh, I talked about earlier, I love the way that they described this. They said that Monster Mash is just like Tenacious D's song Tribute because Tribute is about the greatest and best song in the world, oh. but you never hear the greatest song in the world. It's about how they made the greatest song in the world. Very true. Yeah. Never really it's just a tribute. Piece that together either. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. I always love that about the Monster Mash. Like, I've thought about it. I'm like, what the hell is a Monster Mash? They never tell you how to do it. They never say anything about it. Yeah, I guess I always just figured it was like, I don't know, like a metamorphosis, a fourth wall. You're, right. you're living in the moment. I don't it's know. It's very meta. It's very meta for sure. I like it. Uh, so the song is really just Dr. Frankenstein telling a story about one night he's taking around his castle and then his monster and some ghosts and vampires who live there start having a party and playing music. And then Igor, Wolfman, and Dracula show up. They start a band, keep it going, and they play the song. That's that's what it is. What's not to like? I know. It's amazing. One thing I never considered that I read about was that Dracula in the song says, what happened to my Transylvania twist? whenever he hears the song. And uh, it's kind of lampooning the twist and, and similar songs. Uh. Uh, because 
as written in this uh, Billboard article uh, that was written by Steve Greenberg, who founded S-Curve Records and had an integral role in developing the careers of Hanson, Jawstone, and Jonas Brothers. This dude loves the Monster Mash. This article wow. is like seven pages of just Monster <laughs> Mash stuff. Uh, and he goes into a lot of detail. And he said, what gives this line, the line about the Transylvania twist, a certain poignancy for the pop culture enthusiast, at least, is that Pickett was consciously commenting on the fact that the twist had already become passe. By the oh. time Monster Mash hit number one in late October, all the aforementioned twist records were gone from the charts. Because there are all those twists, you know, once there is the twist, there's every kind of twist that came out. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Tons didn't of know different that. songs. And it, he said the kids were on to other dances like The Swim or The Locomotion. And Chubby Checker oh, wow. would never have another top 10 record after a two year run in which he'd had eight of them. Oh, wow. So Chubby Checker is kind of like Dracula saying, like, Where's my song? Oh, that's great. If you can't beat him, join him. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Uh, and it does appear in the lyrics that Dr. Frankenstein becomes the band leader or the manager or something. Hmm, okay. <laughs> because he says, now everything's cool, Drax a part of the band, and my my monster mash is the hit of the land. He's really taking some credit there after all the monsters made this song Well, in this dance. Uh, he, if he's Dr. Frankenstein. I mean, he made the monster. Right? Yeah. Yep. He made the monster mash. So. Uh, and they do, as you mentioned, uh, they say the name of the studio band. They say the Coffin Bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, <laughs> the Crypt Kicker Five. I love it. And then they pay... so the Coffin Bangers are the band. The Crypt Kickers are the singers. Yes, they are. I, yes, I don't think are. I realized that. Yep. Okay. Uh, and they do pay homage to their inspiration, saying, "For you, the living, the mash was meant to. When you get to my door." Tell them Boris sent you. <laughs> this is just like one love song to this guy's childhood. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. So great. Charting. Where do you think we got? Number one. Oh, number one. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, um, there's only so many songs at a time. <laughs> and if it's sweeping the nation, yep. then. Yeah. Yeah. They debuted on the Hot 100 the week of September 8th, 1962. Six weeks later, they knocked out Four Seasons Sherry from the top spot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Classic. Yeah. Yeah, I would knock this shit off, too, for the Monster Mash, though. Especially yeah. in October. <laughs> so they had a two-week reign that ended four days before Halloween. And then it returned to the Hot 100 in 1970. And then Does in 1973... It happened again. Oh, wow. Wait, so it's not happening every year. Right. On Halloween. Right. What are the catalysts here? Do we know? I think it's just radio stations. Um, it's just randomly gets played. Doing now. a little bit more of what they want and thinking, why don't we just play seasonal songs every year? Yeah. Are yeah. We, I'm assuming that the song in those years between was probably peaking Somewhere in the teens or the 20s, uh, maybe. It was probably played, yeah, you know. it was probably played here and there and then didn't get into the Hot 100 until those years. Yeah. And then it kept getting higher and higher and higher. And these days, it's on the charts all the time. On the digital song sales chart, it charted in 05, 2007, 2008, 
and then a peak position of number 27 in 2017. Who's making money? Because if it's a parody, it's not uh, the postman getting some money. No, here? they are not. It's uh, it's okay. with a parody. It's solely whoever wrote the parody. Um, oh, okay. Well, let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, in 1989, Stuart Hirsch began manage- managing Bobby, and he learned that Bobby didn't own the master recording to Monster Mash. Mm-hmm. So they recorded a perfect copy. Of Monster Mash. Ooh. <laughs> Taylor Swift To try Swift to undercut style. the owners of the track, Universal. And apparently... God, Universal owns everything. Yeah. Didn't Universal just lose Happy Happy Birthday? Uh, I don't know. Was that know. Warner? But interestingly enough, Universal also owns the Monsters. Mm. But mm. apparently, uh, his, his, man, his new manager felt like they were unconcerned with the song's legacy and just preoccupied with how much money they could get. Um... And that he was missing out on thousands of dollars in licensing fees. <laughs> thousands. <laughs> well, it's 1989. Uh, I know, but... <laughs> what they wanted to do is re-record it and make it affordable for people to use the song when Universal said they couldn't. Ah, okay. But as far as I know, he and Lenny uh, own the publishing forever. To the... Wow. Oh, yeah, to the original... Yeah, yeah, yeah. to their song. Um, unfortunately, I... I uh, I can't get the exact charts because it's too early. So we can't talk about what else was up there, but we do know four seasons were on there. The weird thing that I was thinking about and that was pointed out in an article was that when I mentioned that in 73, it made its third appearance in the hot 100. It was in the top 10, but it was in August. No. And I tried search. I tried searching all kinds of things and I could not find anything about why that would have happened. When did the monsters come out? The show? That was sixty four. I mean that was right around okay, right around no. the same time. I didn't even think about that. Uh shortly after the song. There had to have been some I don't know. Catalyst. Yeah, then. I'm not sure. Never found it, but peculiar. Wow. Um mailbag, anyone? anyone? There's a couple mailbags anyone? I'd like to have here. That and also what was going on with these hitmen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gary, we gotta hear about that. As you would imagine, over the years, this song has popped up in pop culture pretty regularly. Uh, It is featured in The Simpsons. We've had a lot of songs show up in The Simpsons. Uh, It's on the I Love Lisa Valentine's Day episode. It's not on one of the Ah. Halloween Horror episodes, which is funny. Uh, A radio presenter in the episode mistakes it for a love song. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, yeah. Very Simpsons. Also, there is a uh, a movie called Spookly the Square Pumpkin. I guess I guess this this little pumpkin's having a tough time. Came out in two thousand four, and for the film, there was a new song called the Transylvania Twist. Okay, which is inspired by yeah the Transylvania Twist mentioned in this song. Okay. I've never heard of this. Uh... I haven't either. It sounds cute though. And it's Bobby doing the song. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it is. Oh wow, I thought it was just like a yeah, someone imitating it. No, they got him. How old is he now? All right, time. Uh, this was 2004, so he was. Where's my He was born in 48. Yeah, 38. He was born 38. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. So. Okay. It's in the 70s. Yeah. Still got a great voice. Oh yeah. Monster Mash was sampled by the prog rock band Rush. Really? <laughs> on their 1996 instrumental track Limbo. You'll notice it right away. Oh wow. Yeah. They use the intro with all the sound effects. Shortly after the uh, song was released, or a couple years later, uh, some fellas who had sang the song before decided to cover it. And this performance is fantastic. Oh. Here they are. Beach Boys do a monster mash. Brian Wilson says that I guess Mike Love's favorite song is Monster Mash. I mean, he's getting into it. Yeah, everyone should check it out. He's, oh, he's doing he's, he's doing the he's whole thing. He's like a spotlight on him. He's doing he's doing all the faces and the hand. Oh, I love this. It's pretty great. Yeah, this is very fun. Everyone should go check this one out. Yeah, this performance is really really great. I uh, also want to mention uh, we got I got my most mm. recent shipment of dark matter coffee. Did you get yours? Great stuff, dude! Some uh, good it came, stuff. In came there. with a, an album as well. Yeah, they have a new coffee that they made with the Black Angels, the psych band uh, from Austin, who's on Partisan Records. Yeah, I listened to it. It was jams. In the band, I actually haven't busted that bag of coffee uh, out because they sent us a lot of good things because they have many different roasts you can choose from. So I'm working my way through one of their classics, but I uh, highly recommend everyone goes buy some bags and use our promo code wanted a hit cast. One word wanted a hit cast at darkmattercoffee.com. Perhaps one of the best known versions of Monster Mash, aside from the original, is by uh, famed New Jersey horror punk band, The Mystics. Yes. Uh, but. I must note, just as a punk fan, it is Misfits post-dancing, mm. so it's Jerry only singing, so but nonetheless, it's pretty good. I don't know that I knew they were going Makes sense. Exactly what you would expect. <laughs> That's fun. That's fun. Good times. Uh, another very interesting cover of Monster Mash. Check this out. Two notable musicians who I would have never pinned together, but also just everything about it. We got <laughs> funk bases sponsored Bootsy by Collins Celebrity Slot. And I'm digging this. It's kind of rocking. And here he For monsters from his slab began to rise. And suddenly, to my surprise. You know what? It sounds like uh, 
It sounds like Mew's super massive black hole. Yeah. I can fuck with this. Like, if you were at a Halloween dance party and this version came on, you'd be grooving. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a lot more bass. I I think I was just remembering I used to DJ a lot of Halloween parties. This would have been perfect. I have a I think I have a Monster Mash remix. That's like a house. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of that. Yeah. I like this. Okay. Sure. My personal favorite cover of Monster Mash is one that I used to play in DJ in DJ sets uh, around Halloween. It is the excellent surf rock band Low Straight Jackets. And they cover the song in Spanish with Peter Zaremba from Garage Band Flesh Tones and it's fantastic you're not familiar with Low Street Jackets they're not only a great surf band but they uh, they back Nick Lowe now but they uh, their their Christmas music is unmatched I have a couple of their Christmas LPs yeah it's fun exactly what you'd expect in Ben comedian Nick Weiger from Comedy Bang Bang. He used to show up on the comedic podcast as a character named Leo Carpazzi, okay. who uh, the character supposedly originally wrote Monster Mash, but was forced to change the lyrics due to profanity. <laughs> okay. He would show up on the show and pretend to have a new song to sing but then would only just keep singing the same version of Monster Mash every time. <laughs> I feel like I, I vaguely remember this. I mean, uh... I was working I in I the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster from monster his slab began to rise and suddenly to my surprise his trousers dropped right to the floor with his bottom bare he ran to the door I said Frankenstein what's gotten into you he said my dick is hard and I need to screw he did the fuck he did the monster right. fuck the monster fuck it was a graveyard fuck. He did the fuck. That monster sucked and fucked. He did the fuck. He did the monster fuck. From my laboratory, I heard quite the racket. Catchy. <laughs> uh, well, different. Uh, supposedly, this is one of the most popular bits on the show, and there are many YouTube videos that contain the song. Yeah, the BBC. Probably would have. BBC uh, would probably not be okay with this. This isn't even BBC too appropriate. We also have a couple versions oh. by Pickett himself. In 1983, Bobby, Bobby came out with a new Bobby. version. Bobby came out with a new version. Monster rap. Uh, no, we don't need this. And it's Bobby <laughs> doing the rapping. <laughs> We don't need this. <laughs> uh, yeah, it feels like a money grab. It's just like sped up. I mean, his rapping is like slam poetry, I guess. I don't know. The shock the body part's kind of rad. It's kind of fun. I mean, it's kind of fun. Uh, it, yeah. The monster. Wait, what's the monster swim doing now? Swim? 
That's the uh, next video here. So he he came out. I was going to mention that a little later. He came out with a lot more monsters. He's kept going with it. Yeah. You know, right? and you got something that works. You fucking. So the, the rap version of Monster Mash, Monster Rap, uh, I do actually think that the premise is kind of funny. Yes. It's describing the mad scientist's frustration at being unable to teach the monsters how to talk. Or Frankenstein's monster how to talk. Uh, and so he's, that's why he says like, give me some vocal cords. He's like trying to put vocal cords in him, but then it's all solved because the monster raps and doesn't talk. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Right. Makes sense. Uh, there's another version that, uh, our man Bobby did. It was in 2004. We were hiking in the forest. Ooh, it has 666 views. Sign of the beast. Let's go. Our president appeared and began to frown. Then he and his friends cut the forest down. Monster slash. They did the forest slash. It was brutally. Like a climate change song. So this song. (laughs) Yep, it's a climate change song, and uh, it's a protest against George W. Bush's environmental policies. I mean, yep. I appreciate <laughs> his, his uh, thought process. There. Yeah, the sentiment. Nice, yeah, it's uh, so yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> okay. It's endearing. He's an old man at that point. <laughs> he just milked the fuck out of this oh, one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which, hey, you know, fair play. Yeah. So, Monster Mash, what can we say about it? I mean, Lou Simon... Senior director of music programming at SiriusXM said, Monster Mash has timeless appeal. The generations who grew up with it have fond memories of the song in the 60s and again from its 70s renaissance. The familiar arrangement is uncomplicated and delightful. It's just one of those records that wears well and makes people happy. Hey, but so even he references the mm-hmm. 70s comeback. What the fuck stoked that? I don't know. I couldn't find it. So random. I don't know if the label like kept pushing it or I read so many articles about the song and all they would say is, and then in the seventies it came back. This was it. It had to have been like a pop culture thing. Maybe not. I mean, if they can't point to anything, probably not then. I mentioned that article by Steve Greenberg for Billboard where he went super in depth about the song. I really like what he says about when the song happened, but what it was or what it was parodying and what everything was going on at the time. Uh he says to an effect uh, that after the song came out, uh, the the twist dance craze had disappeared and it was replaced by Beatlemania and rock bands. And although he does mention that the Beatles had Twist and Shout and they did cover Please Mr. Postman, but, you know, led the culture into another another direction. Then he said that the monster movie craze also came to an end. The, the films themselves were replaced by stuff like Rosemary's Baby in 1968, The Exorcist in 1973, like the more serious horror stuff, Night of Living Dead. Getting like, like real, stuff that's yeah, really yeah. dark and really scary. Like that was all kind of leaving. But yeah. uh, Monster Mash endured. That is interesting, yeah. It was a product of two trends combined. The the dance crazes, twist, whatnot, and monster movies, those went away, and then the song just continued. 
on its own. Just kind of stands now on its, its own. Just so tied with Halloween. And there just really aren't that thriller. There's only two Halloween songs that are Yeah, of course. That I can think of that are so tied to Halloween and Halloween only. So I mean I, I guess that just helps, propels it. Whereas you look like a Christmas, right. there's lots of Christmas songs and some come and go, some have lasting power. But I can't think of another example in pop culture of a parody so outliving and outshining its inspirations that people no longer even remember it was ever intended as a parody. Like, fuck, I had no idea. And he said that had to have brought a fiendish smile to the face of Bobby Pickett. Love it. Love yeah. it. And he also said that as he wrote it, I think that was 2012, the day before Halloween, Monster Mash was at number 25 on the iTunes chart. <laughs> and he said, go over to Spotify. There's 50 versions to oh, choose sure. from. So Bobby. Bobby Pickett. After this. Yeah, Bobby Pickett. He penned many more songs related to monsters. Uh, one of them that climbed to number 30 on the charts is Monsters Holiday. Ooh. Is this a, a Christmas version? It says it's the Crypt Kickers too, but I doubt we got Leon Russell and the dude from yeah. the Ventures and... But yeah, oh my God. It's, a, it's a Christmassy version. You gotta, you gotta try, right? You gotta give it a shot. Yeah. It's, uh... It's better than the the Barbie Girl Christmas version. Yeah, we had another Christmas version that was bad. It's not that much better. So, I read this about Monsters Holiday, and I thought, oh, I love that Buck Owens song, Monsters Holiday. Speaking of Bakersfield Country. And I was like, are they related? Because the Buck Owens song is typically seen as a Halloween song. And I've I've played it in many DJ sets and radio shows. I don't know if I know this. Oh, dude, it's so good. Oh, I already love it. This is great. When was well, it's Bobby's song. So Buck Owens loved Bobby Pickett's oh, exactly holiday. And he, the lyrics aren't really Christmassy. Oh, wow. He just put Christmas, like, it says Monster's Holiday, but Buck Owens kind of turned it and took out all the Christmassy sounds and kind of made it a it more sounds like monsters like going on holiday like monsters are going on yeah i just listened to back to back and i had no idea it's great it's it's so good it's such a great such a great it's an all year song it's a blast uh picket had a third top 100 hit wild uh graduation day is it anything like vitamin Uh, c i wouldn't say sonically this reached number 80 in june 1963 well, at least it's not about monsters. No, this is not good. It uh, It sounds really slowed down, is it not? Is that just him singing? Uh, he later described the song as an embarrassment. Yeah, well, yeah, me too. So he did a bunch more monster songs. Uh, mo- <laughs> monster- went, went back to the yeah. well. Fuck it. <laughs> monster Motion, Blood Bank Blues, Me and My Mummy, uh, Werewolf Watusi, the Monster Swim, yeah. as you mentioned earlier. There you go. Uh, Monster Swim actually did make it to number 135 on the Bubbling Under chart. Oh, wow. And it was okay. credited as Bobby Pickett and the Rolling Bones. Okay. Uh, after that, he did a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Pickett uh, appeared many, many times on Dr. Demento. Do you know who Dr. Demento is? That's He's a... Uh, 
not like a shock jock, but uh, kind of prior to shock jocks. He was like a radio DJ who just like played weird songs and had like weird skits and talked about hmm. paranormal shit and had funny comedians on. So like and, a cute and cuddly Alex Jones. Uh, uh, <laughs> and he is actually the first one that had Weird Al on his show. That's where that's where Weird Al wow. kind of got famous. Some Doctor Demento. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, Pickett became <laughs> quite the mainstay on Doctor Demento. You know, like they would syndicate Doctor Demento on like college stations and stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Late night radio. Doctor Demento. Look at these pictures. Oh my gosh. He's still alive, and he he, like he still has a show too. Yeah, he played a lot of crazy punk music on his show too. But uh, Pickett was on the show a lot. He did a Star a Star Trek uh, parody on there that is somewhat popular that people enjoyed at the time. You're, you're um, Trekkie. Yeah, he did all kinds of stuff. He he was not on the pop charts again, but he worked steadily in commercials, B movies, television. Uh, oh, so he then, was he was an actor for a bit. Yeah, he was on Petticoat Junction. Oh, um, yeah. He he also had a uh, a radio show. He did a bunch of local theater in Boston, um, and then he kept touring. Uh, he kept he kept kept doing the thing, touring uh, until November two thousand six. Uh, he was actually uh, his tour bus broke down in a city called Frankenstein, Missouri. Oh, can't can't write that. Yeah, pretty wild. Fantastic. But five months later, Pickett died in Los Angeles, California from leukemia. And uh, Dr. Demento did a uh, a documentary retrospective on all of his work throughout his oh, career. Damn. It's very cool. Um, sadly, Lenny uh, did not do quite as well. Mm. Um, he developed a heroin addiction. And he overdosed in 1989. So his writing partner outlasted him by quite some time. Didn't see that one coming. I know, right? Fuck. Pickett, his website is still up. Oh. And it is amazing. It is. We've seen a couple good websites on this show. (laughs) This website is fantastic. I I would assume this is how it. TheMonsterMatch.com. They've got like oh the fire God. gifts and the and uh, if you want to license the master recording that Bobby owns, you can contact Stuart Hirsch. There's his manager we were oh, talking about earlier. Wow. His email is the nineteen sixties at AOL.com. <laughs> this is incredible. Oh, they've got a Spotify link on here. I'm they surprised. Do. I mean so this looks like updated. A, this looks like an Angel Fire. Like GeoCities. Uh, GeoCities. They yeah. got the little fire and it's not an emoji. It's like a the, the like a, a gif. A line a gif. gif. Yeah. Oh, this is fantastic. Yeah, I'm gonna put you know you can put like a mercy contact in your phone. I'm gonna put Stuart Hirsch. <laughs> <laughs> put it in your phone and write if you would like to license Bobby <laughs> Boris Pickett's own master recording of Monster Mash for your project, please contact. <laughs> it found dead. Or if you'd like to <laughs> license. <laughs> All jokes aside, uh, before he passed, Bobby wrote a memoir. Oh. And I really want to read it. Uh, the synopsis is amazing and really, I think, gives some insight into what he was doing. Because, you know, the stuff I was mentioning kind of stops in the early 90s. Uh, and it kind of gives some insight into how he was feeling later in life. Uh, the book's called Monster Mash Half Dead in Hollywood. 
And this is the synopsis. Like so many millions of other misguided people, I am a conditioned result of a celebrity worshiping culture, systematically taught that fame and fortune are admirable goals and that celebrities are somehow superior beings, like gods, if you will. It has taken many years to expunge oneself from this false frivolity. Although many Halloweens have come and gone, I'm finally cured of what today is labeled celebrity worship syndrome. I believe I'm not alone and I feel better. The following is not just another Hollywood who's who or kiss and tell book, with a couple exceptions. It is, however, peppered in part with an ample supply of sometimes meaningless and petty gossip. Now, my grandchildren and I can commiserate over whom Hilary Duff and Lindsay Lohan are dating, as is the propensity for certain current and former starstruck fools like myself to spew forth tales of meetings with famous people. Just so, I have chosen to believe that these writings simply screamed out for ubiquitously shameless name-dropping. Thus, I giggled and gave in, while fully realizing that no one under 40 will recognize half the names mentioned, other than the two aforementioned. Anyway, viva Hollywood. This memoir might be viewed as a personal record of one man's almost, in the Buddhist sense of not fully awakened, human encounter with the banal and the divine. Holy shit. It sounds awesome. They have to read this. I know. It sounds great. Oh, my God. I love his God. whole, like, just, he's just, like, so, like. Fucking self-aware That was celebrity. ridiculous. What? Yeah, so Holy great. Holy shit. He grew up in a time, middle of nowhere, Massachusetts, just, like, probably idolizing these celebrities who, mm-hmm. you know, at the time, like, I always, I think it's cool to think back on what celebrity was when our parents and, and grandparents grew up because, you didn't have any sort of view into their private lives. Like all you knew about them was what you saw on the movie screens and then what you made up in your head or maybe saw in like a tabloid or whatever. But like movie stars were the the pinnacle. And to, to know that he grew up oh, yeah. in the middle of nowhere, Massachusetts, idolizing some, some folks in that world, moved to Hollywood, probably met a lot of them, kind of became one of them. And then now he's writing a book in a very self-aware way. I got to read this. Yeah. I love Sounds it. fantastic. I think it's great. Yeah, it's great. It seems like he had a kind of fun, cool career after that. Did a bunch of theater, like just, I don't know. Uh, it, and it seems like he looks back on it like, wow, that was crazy that happened. What's fucking crazy? Yeah. God damn it, Bobby. Uh, the nickname Boris is definitely for that Boris. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just sure. I, yeah, I wonder yeah. Where, where you got it. Bobby Boris Pickett. I've never seen him refer to himself as Boris, so uh, I'm not sure how that actually happened, or maybe they discredited him. Maybe the record label was like, put it on there, because people will know it's like a Boris Karloff thing. I don't know. It is cool to think about if if you idolized someone from when you were young and then got so popular in your own right for that idolization or, or for like connection to that, that people start calling you that it's gotta be like the ultimate uh, compliment. Oh yeah. Know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then Boris covers your song yeah. where you're imitating him. I mean, that's so cool. That's so cool. Uh, I wanted to end with this little bit from the enemy article. I mentioned a couple times. Uh, they say, the question is why does monster mash keep returning from beyond the grave year after year? Perhaps the answer is quite straightforward. Besides the fact it's a fun, limb-shaking, rock-and-roll banger, nobody else has really written a Halloween anthem as good as Pickett's. It exists in a relatively empty sphere. Aside from Thriller and the Ghostbusters theme song, how many good Halloween songs are there? So there's no wonder it seems to resurface every Halloween. 
Boom. It's the Halloween it really song. Is. I mean, even more so than Thriller. Yeah. Oh, I think so too. Yeah. They just suck. Yeah, and but also like the idea of a Halloween song inherently is novelty. Where yeah, the idea totally. of a Christmas song could easily inherently be a religious song, uh, a song about Christ, uh, mm. you know, a song about the season, like about snow. About, yeah, there's just yeah. so much more that is yeah. more grounded. Uh, it's just more material to work with, I guess, overall. Um, but like Halloween, it's just all about novelty and fun and spooky. I mean, Halloween, there's a lot to write about, but it's all rooted in the same right. thing. Yeah, and it all. Is a little I'm actually a little. I'm actually pretty amazed that Michael Jackson was able to do it and not have it be corny and have it also just be a regular ass pop hit. Yeah, it's a badass song. I mean, he put he put Vincent Price in this. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's not that different than Monster Mash, to be quite honest. Yeah. I thought it was great. Great story. Oh shit. I I thought this would be a, a short episode because I thought it'd just be like me too. I thought it was gonna be a Dominic the Donkey kind of thing. Yeah. Well, no, we had a we much had better a song lot overall. going on uh, here. This one, yeah, <laughs> a much better song. Uh, and I I'm sure I missed some stuff. So if folks have any anything to add, let me know. If you know who's Hitman were who uh, tried to kill I a producer, mean, a lot I there. really want to know about that. There's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Fuck, great story. Uh, Happy Halloween, my favorite holiday. Glad we could do an episode for it. Happy Halloween, motherfuckers. Bobby! That's a wrap on this episode of You Are The Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting that song out of your Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. And if it's on Apple, write a review. Only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHPod and let us know what you think. And tell us what you missed by sending us an email at YWAHPod at gmail.com. Lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Bible. Our theme music is by Hair Doctor. We'll see you next time.